0: Well, two things are encouraging. One is that uh, a number of you are still here. And secondly, uh, nobody's fallen asleep yet. And uh, in my 30 years at Lakeshore Baptist, uh, there was one guy, I always felt like if I could keep him awake for an entire sermon, I had preached a great sermon. Never preached a great sermon. All right, so uh, another another area is sensitivity. you know, we, we talk about gratitude, but another area is sensitivity, and I'm, gonna, I'm I got a lot of material, so I'm going to kind of go kind of fast here, and I I think you're all uh, smart enough to follow along. Probably you can probably teach this better than I could. Uh, so the problem areas, you know, one is uh, when a wife asks her husband to do small tasks around the house, and one thing's that that I mean, there's a biological component here. Uh, Women have kind of a, kind of a nesting instinct, and they, they like to create a home that kind of reflects their personality, a place where the kids can grow and be safe, and you can invite people in and do the hospitality thing and so but she needs a husband to help her do some of that, you know putting up shelves and, and moving furniture and all that kind of stuff and uh, my mother went to Fargo one time to take care of her mother, and uh, she asked my dad to paint the living room, and uh, he was so sick and tired of moving furniture that he painted around all the furniture and uh, <laughs> So uh, they needed some marriage counseling after that. Uh, so, but but the idea is when, when a wife asks a husband to do small tasks around the house, and, and why wouldn't she do that, you know? And he asks if if she, he's nagging or, or, or demanding too much or being a burden, you know, that it, it, it diminishes the intimacy factor dramatically. Number two is when a husband fails to acknowledge his wife's attempts to please him. Uh, one of my, one of my colleagues in seminary, his wife, uh, when he was gone to camp, uh, she deep cleaned his office and uh, she, she very lovingly rearranged all of his book, color-coded, from dark red to light red to dark green to light green, and it looked, it looked awesome. And uh, he, of course, was horrified, but she never knew. All she got was hugs and kisses and gratitude. Uh, number three is scoffing at uh, A wife. Uh, One of my counsees, the wife, was scared to death of heights, and and yet her husband, for her birthday, uh, planned to take her up in a hot air balloon. And she tearfully, tearfully objected, and so he refused to speak to her the rest of the day. Uh, Scoffing at her fears, belittling in public. Uh, I had to witness this. Uh, Phil and his wife were at a social gathering, and the wife starts talking about what a finicky eater her husband is, and so, Phil's wife uh, proceeds to say that her husband is far from finicky. He'll eat anything you can put ketchup on. And if you want to see some samples, check his necktie. And, uh, and so, you know, and again, as I mentioned this before, you know, it leaves him the object of ridicule and, again, destroys the intimacy factor. So what does the Bible say? Well, of course, you know, Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them, and then Peter wrote this great thing about uh, wives are supposed to ornament themselves with a meek and a quiet spirit, which is of great price in the sight of God, even to the extent of Sarah, who called Abraham, her husband, Lord, which is deference, not obsequiousness. And, uh, and so then C, suggestions for solving the problem. And I mentioned this, never make jokes or criticize your spouse in front of others, including the children. Um, on the other hand, as I mentioned, what a rush of warmth it is when you compliment them. Number two is build intimacy by being alert to their attempts to please you, acknowledge them with thanks, try to reciprocate. You know, like the time when I, uh, Valentine's Day was coming up and I said to Ev, they're having a Valentine's banquet, uh, you want to go? And she said, well, I'd rather spend Valentine's Day just with you. And uh, it builds intimacy. And then uh, number three is build a sense of security in your spouse by demonstrating to them that there are in first place. I just talked about the Ming Ba's thing. Whenever we had to go to a wedding, I always told my wife, now, be careful. Don't be more beautiful than the bride. And uh, (laughs) don't up that way. And then number four is pick up on their signals. You know, if they tell you that it bothers them when you you, eat with your mouth open, then work on changing that. It's being sensitive. It builds intimacy when your spouse sees that you care enough about them to try to please. Uh, number three is contentment. And, uh, and actually, you know, nice wonders are with Crown Ministries. There are some awesome financial uh, uh, instruments out there, Ron Blue and Larry Burkett and uh, uh, the financial peace people in Crown Ministries. And uh, uh, I, you know, I think I'm going to let that one go because uh, of time. But uh, the homework here is, and this is number one, is incredibly important. Clear away the debris from your past there's an important time for you to sit down with your spouse and eliminate anything that might be um, junk in the bed, any any uh, concrete blocks that are rolling around in there, anything from the past. Uh, completely clear the conscience, clear the air, ask and extend forgiveness, leave nothing undealt with, so that you can look at each other and say, there is absolutely nothing in the past that hinders my enjoyment of our marriage today. And then number two is evaluate the level of, level of grace in your relationship and suggest some ways that each of you could be a little bit more gracious. You know, there's a, you know, if you wouldn't mind picking up the bath towel off the floor or take your shoes out when you come in the house or try not to park the car in the backyard. Number three is discuss uh, gratefulness and sensitivity and contentment. And then number four is offer gentle, kind suggestions to each other on how you might use these tools to make living more enjoyable. Okay, so now let's take, take uh, go to number three. Uh, this is guarding the covenant. Okay, now, what what do you suppose, from your perspective, are the major threats to the marriage covenant? Anybody? Well, number four is in law issues, which is why we have the TPT principle. Uh, number three is child rearing. Issues, disagreeing on, on childbearing. Number two is finances. Number one is communication. Far and away, it's the biggest. So that's what we're going to focus on here. And again, as I mentioned, it takes only five negative comments a day to destroy a marriage. So, uh, so here they are. Number one is, and this is the positive side, listen carefully. What What is the effect on your... I, I walked, I got called into a, into a house one time, they, they, uh, the kid called and said, mom and dad are having a knock down, drag out argument, I'm scared, can you please come over? So I go over there, I walk in the door, kid opens the door, I walk in the door, and the dad is sitting at the dining room table, the wife is standing over there in the kitchen, and they, she is screaming at him, she is screaming, and veins are standing out on her face, and the phone rang, and she picked up the phone and she said, Hello? Uh, no, this isn't a good time right now. I'll call you back later. And she hung up and went back to screaming again. You know, not out of control. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was in full control. What is the effect on your spouse when you listen intently to somebody else, but then you appear to be off in the distant world when they speak or or whatever? Uh, Ev had a little signal to me because I'm always reading something, and so she would come into in my office and sit down in the chair next to my desk, and... And uh, and sometimes I'd be so intent I wouldn't even notice, and uh, and she'd say, "I'm here now." And then that was her signal. Okay, put down, put the paper down, turn the TV off, get rid of your iPhone, make eye contact, listen to what they're saying, ask questions to clarify. You know what happens at 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 the desk in my office at the table in my office is, uh, I'll ask the husband, "Okay, so what brings you in today?" And so he starts going on about, about all the discord in their marriage. And out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching the wife. She's not listening. You know what she's doing? She's preparing her rebuttal. So he gets done, and I say to the wife, I said, well, you know, give me your perspective. And so she goes off, and I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye, and he's not listening because he's getting ready to counterattack. And nobody's listening to anybody. And the first thing i got to do is get them to start listening to each other and responding to each other. Proverbs 18 13 says, you're a fool when you respond to something before you've heard it. By the way, I even caught myself doing that as the counselor. Somebody come in and sit down, and they start into their problem, and I'm already thinking, oh, I've heard that one before. I know exactly where that one's going, and so I'm figuring out how I'm going to respond to this, not realizing they've gone off on some other direction with it, and I'm not ready to respond to that because I haven't been listening. So Proverbs 18, 13, you're a fool if you respond without listening. Number two is respond thoughtfully. You know, uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. What do you suppose corrupting talk is? Corrupting talk is anything that diminishes another person, puts them down, puts them on a defensive, makes them feel bad about themselves, whatever. He says, let no corrupting talk, let no offensive talk come out of your mouths, ever. But... The only thing that should come out of your mouth is good for building up as fits the occasion then it may give grace to those who hear. So the idea is, uh, if you should come to me and you should say, you know, I'm having a terrible time with my wife and, uh, and this is going on and all that. And, and so we talk together and say, okay, this is what I would suggest you do. And uh, you need to have a talk with her. And you need to make these points and deal with this issue and whatever. And then if I should talk to her later and say, did your husband talk to you about the, the issue? And she should say, Yes. And I'd say, well, how'd it go? She should say to me, it was good. And, and I learned some things I, I wasn't aware of. You know, he built me up. It was edifying. And he was so gracious. That's this verse, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then number three is keep the lines open. And uh, here are some of the tactics from my files that shut down communication and smother intimacy. Here is the real heart of the thousand cuts. One is cold shoulder. People come in, or I talk to people, well, we're not speaking right now. Uh, we're giving each other silent treatment. You know, when your kids do that, you know what we call it? They're pouting. It's really ugly when adults do it. But they do. Call whatever you want. Does does giving the silent treatment ever solve a problem? No, it, it violates that other rule about letting out the sun go down upon your wrath. Because during the night, when you're not sleeping because you're mad, uh, the devil gets a chance to drive a wedge between you and your wife or your spouse. And uh, and, and you're thinking you know, it's the it's the, uh, the the mountain to a mole the molehill to a mountain thing. If if she did that or if he did that, then probably this and probably that, and so it builds up during that. Plus, you're losing your sleep, so you wake up cranky. And, uh, and, and, and nothing is resolved. It intensifies the problem. So we never do that. Uh, rule number one in Ephesians uh, 4.25 is let each of you speak the truth to each other because you belong to each other. And there's an imperative in 4.15, speak the truth. Now do it in love, but you do have to speak the truth. It's not okay to give each other the silent treatment. It's never okay to do that. You solve today's problems today. Sufficient, Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is evil. Which means every day that you get up, there's going to be some garbage you have to deal with. There's going to be some provocations. And by the way, we're all the nicest people when we get our way. When people treat us with the dignity and, and the nobility and the respect that we deserve. But we don't get to see what you're really like until you're provoked. When you're provoked, then we get to see what you're really like. What comes flying out of your mouth? That started in your heart. It was there all the time. So the idea here is every day when you get up, there's going to be some garbage to deal with today. And and God says, my grace is more than sufficient for you. And so you've got grace today to deal with today's problems. The problem is when you drag yesterday's problems into today, and now you're using today's grace to solve today's and yesterday's and who knows how many back. So never go to bed angry. Uh, Then backdoor messages. You know what backdoor messages are? You know, that's when you hint at stuff instead of coming right out. When you say to your wife, Hey, uh, did you see uh, Ava's new hairdo? Didn't she look nice? You, know, you ever you ever think about it? Hint, 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 hint. You know. Does anybody appreciate that? Does anybody really feel honored and respected when you do these little end around and do these little backdoor hints? Um, one guy said... Uh, my mother always had a hot, home-cooked meal on the table at 5.30 sharp, and his wife responded said, I asked your mother to do that, and she won't. <laughs> the point is, if you have something to say, say it. You know, it's like the, the washcloth thing. You know, I, I wish my wife had said something early on, like day two, rather than waiting all that time. If you got something to say, say it. Say it nicely, say it graciously, but by all means, say it. You know, and then for me, backdoor messages never work because I'm too dense, I never get it. Then gunny-sacking, you know what gunny-sacking are, okay? So so we try to be mature and things happen, and uh, so we don't, you know, you feel kind of immature and, and picky to bring it up, so, so you don't. But neither do you let it go, see? You put it in your gunny-sack. And then eventually, two, three, four, five weeks go by, and it's the straw that broke the camel's back. She does, or he does one more thing, and so now, the gunny sack comes open and everything comes flooding out. And remember, sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. So instead of solving today's problems today, now we're dealing with four weeks of problems all at once. And it's, absolutely, it's, like, it's like a huge ball of string on the table and you've got to pull them out one at a time and try to deal with it. And it's overwhelming. And people feel defeated. And they feel attacked. So... Gunny sacking. If, if, if you can't let it go, then bring it up. And, uh, and, and again, that never solves problems either. And then the next one is refusal to admit wrong, to ask forgiveness. Unbelievable in, in marriage counseling. How many, you know, it seems like it's mostly guys who will not ever admit they made a mistake, they said the wrong thing, they did the wrong thing, they were wrong, and they, they can't, they cannot admit it. And so it's always, well, I just don't see it that way, or, or uh, you don't understand, understand the facts like I do. Uh, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, "Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy." That's never truer than in a marriage relationship. Um, I, had, I had one guy that came to my office, and and he was he was asking my forgiveness uh, for something, and. He, this is what he said. He said, I need to ask your forgiveness for being bitter against you because you let me down. That's a backdoor message. <laughs> or a woman who said, I'm sorry for blowing up at you, but I, could, I just couldn't take all the terrible things you were saying to me. Um, Refusal to admit you're wrong, and, and then hitting below the belt. Attacking your spouse where they're vulnerable, using what they can't do anything about against them. Yeah, Your whole family is so low class, or if you'd have gone to college like I did, you'd be able to understand this stuff, or, or my husband can resist anything but temptation, or you failed before, what makes you think it's going to be better this time? Um, hitting below the belt. Dramatics. You know what those are? Slamming doors. You know, or, or the woman who rises imperiously to her feet and sweeps out of the room, declaring, nobody has ever dared speak to me this way before. Or another one I get in my office is tears. There's a lot of women. This is their, 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 their uh, uh, de- de- defense mechanism. So, so as long as I'm boring in on the guy, you know, they can go get him, go get him. But then I say, okay, now here's some issues you need to do. with." then, bah! you know, and then I'm supposed to stop. And, but instead, I give him a box of Kleenex and keep going, and that really makes him mad. Uh, and then and then there's the overreacting thing, you know, uh, like like Sanford clutching his chest. It's oh, the big one. I'm going to die, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, stern lectures. Uh, one of the things that, that was so difficult for my wife was uh, her dad, uh, he would, if he was upset about something, he would, he would sit her down, and he'd go on this long lecture. He would go on for two hours, just... Lecturing, berating, um, long-winded tirades, totally demeaning, totally belittling, and creating resentment. And then exaggeration, um, 100% statements. Speaking, you know, we're supposed to speak the truth, and uh, and when you use these 100% statements, it communicates hopelessness and really chokes off communication. When you say words like "you never do such and such." Because as soon as you say that to me, I'm not listening to you anymore, because I'm trying to think, is there every time when I actually did do that? And I'm thinking, yeah, August of 1963, I I think I did do that. And so you're wrong. Okay. so the point is, you're trying to get a point across. You're trying to deal with an issue, but you use 100% words. You create a defensiveness that completely derails the whole thing. No, that's not true. I did that back then. And so you're wrong. Why are you attacking me like that? so you you never change. You never listen to a word I say. You always. You never. You're just like your mother. No, I'm not just like my mother. Whatever. Um, and then assigning motives. Um, Jay Adams from his. I I'll never forget this one uh, out of his counseling. He talked about a woman who came into his office with a friend of hers, and uh, so he said, "What well, seems to be the problem?" And the woman says, "My husband is having an affair." I just, uh, and and he said, "Well, how do you know?" And so she said, well, uh, my friend here works with my husband at work. They work in the same place. And she was mentioning to me a while back that my husband had got a promotion and a sizable raise. And uh, he never told me a word. And so uh, my friend said, the only reason that he wouldn't tell you and that he's sucking this money away is because he's got something going on on the side. And she said, I believe her because she's never lied to me before. And so uh, Jay Adams called the husband in and said... uh, well, is this true? Did you get a a promotion? Well, yeah. Did you get a raise? Well, yeah. Why didn't you tell your wife? He said, well, uh, we never had a honeymoon. And so I was saving that money to take her to Hawaii. So, assigning motives. This is what you did. I know why you did that. The only reason you know why somebody did something or why they said what they did is if they tell you. But otherwise, you don't know. And the worst thing that you can do is to act upon those assumptions. Assigning motives, uh, lying, uh, rule number one uh, in uh, the four rules of communication is to speak the truth always. Um, Even even to this extent, when we got married, uh, I guess it was in the boys' game, my my wife was determined, because she's a nurse, she was determined that we're going to eat incredibly healthy at our house. And so she tried this recipe and she came up with this casserole that was lentils and rice. I can see you're, you're squirming already because it's that, not really food. But anyway, uh, <laughs> lentils and rice and some other stuff in there. And, uh, and, so, and, and she'd worked very hard on this. And so she served it to us. And then afterwards she says, well, what do you think? And I said, well, it was, it was good. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Well, then after the fifth time, she says to me, you really don't like that, do you? And I said, well, and again, I'm trying to be nice. I said, well, if you, if you never made that again, that would be okay with me. <laughs> okay, but here's the point. She said, when I asked you if it was good, you gave me permission to make it again. And I did this thinking that I was doing something that was pleasing to you. And that hurts my feelings. Same thing happens when she's in a store and she says, do you like this dress? If you don't like it, say you don't like it. Otherwise, you're going to be seeing a lot of it. (laughs) Manipulation. You know, flattery, effusive compliments, lavish gifts, just because. You know what flattery is? Flattery is a deliberate attempt to get somebody in obligation to you. Uh, emotional blackmail when the last time you were with your family they treated me like dirt why do you keep subjecting me to that don't you care how I feel or an appeal to sympathy I was under so much stress I was afraid I was gonna have a nervous breakdown or and this one of one of as friends uh, she had this device uh, she would she would go shopping and she would buy clothes and uh, and then she would hide them for three months and then she would bring it out, wear it, and her husband would say, "Oh, you got a new dress." And she, "What? This old thing? I've had this for how are you?" And uh, <laughs> Eb said she never did that with me. Manipulation, padding the request, husband, or or the, and and, and uh, so one guy did this. He said, "Honey, would you mind if I would go parachuting with the guys this weekend?" And uh, it's all day Saturday, and I know it's kind of pricey, but. Uh, She says, you've got two children at home. No, absolutely, you're not going parachuting. Well, man, well, could I at least go play around the golf with the guys? Which is what he wanted in the first place. (laughs) My son did that to me. He'd say, Dad, uh, we got a youth activity this weekend. I need 60 bucks. 60 bucks? I'm not giving you 60. What do you need 60? Well, can I have 20? Yeah, I'm happy to give you 20. He only wanted 10 to start with. But then this happened. This is uh, from my files. A girl seduced her boyfriend, and uh, and then she claimed that she was pregnant so that he would marry her. And he did. And then she claimed she had a miscarriage, so that she thought it was was good. Well, in his annual physical examination, the doctor informed him, by the way, you know you're shooting blanks? You're sterile. So he went home, confronted his wife. They were in my office. And despite my best efforts, I couldn't hold it together because the breach was so serious. Her erupting in anger, defensiveness, going on the attack, beating your spouse down with words, back to the be angry and sin not, raising your voice, yelling, shouting. You know, all that communicates contempt and hatred, and it, and it may keep your, your spouse cowed, but there's no intimacy and that either. Uh, it's, it's a sad thing how many of us in our marriages are doing the eggshell dance, walking around on eggshells, hoping not to stir the pot because you don't know when your spouse is going to blow a cork. Uh, it's no fun living at the f- foot of Mount St. Helens, wondering when the next explosion is going to happen you got to keep the communication lines wide open. Intimacy depends squarely on communication. Then, then number four here is provide times of intimate conversation. Proverbs declares that there's healing in our lips. There's wisdom, there's understanding, and uh, as I said, we should... You know, do you, do you notice this? You're, you're out at a nice restaurant with your spouse, you know, you're having a nice meal, and you look around, and you see two things. I see either an older couple, the wife is... Is, uh, is, uh, is looking around at the other people, the husband is staring out the window, and you watch them, they're not talking, they just, they're sitting there, what do they got? Or, or you look over there, there's a young couple sitting over there, and they're both on their phones, and they're not talking. And, and, and yet, being together in a restaurant is an opportunity for intimate conversation, for talk, to share, to, to be involved in each other's lives. You know what's the hardest thing for me as a widower? After 38 years... I go home at night, I have nobody to share my life with. In the past, things would happen during the day, and I'd think, oh, Ev's going to kick out of that. You know, I can't wait to tell Ev about that, or till well, Ev hears about this. And, uh, and so you know, I store away things so that I go home, I've got things to talk to her about. Now I go home, I have nobody to share my, my, my life with. Evenings and weekends are brutal. But you've got a spouse. And so keep the communication lines open. Maintain the intimacy so that this can be an enjoyable relationship. God forbid that your spouse should die and you feel a sense of relief. Whenever possible, you should go to bed together at the same time. Even, you know, for example, when we first got married, my wife was an early-to-bed person because she had to get up at 4 o'clock and go to work. And I was a nocturnal creature. And so, but... When she went to bed at 9 o'clock, I went to bed with her, and we'd talk and we'd snuggle and hug and kiss, and then she'd drift off to sleep, and then I'd get up tiptoe back to my office and go back to work. <laughs> and that, that's the way to keep the, the intimacy and the communication lines wide open. Uh, non-sexual touching, you know, just uh, hugging and, and, and sitting close to each other and holding hands and all these things. The Proverbs also declares that there's good medicine for the heart in laughter. Now, this, this, I, you can tell I read psychology today. Uh, some time ago, they did a study of 5,000 women nationwide, and they, they did the study right because they had uh, educated, uneducated, old, young uh, mothers, non-mothers, married, unmarried. You know, they, they did the whole thing right. They asked 5,000 women, what is the number one thing that you're looking for in a husband? And I thought this was interesting. Uh, looks and sexual compatibility wasn't in the top 10, which I thought, because I figured it would be right up there at the top. It wasn't. The, 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 the top five were uh, number, number five was somebody who's careful with finances. They felt a sense of security in that. Number four was the trust factor. Can they trust? Number three was uh, he makes me laugh. Number two was he's easy to talk to. Number one was, he's gentle. Gentle, easy to talk to, he makes me laugh. Those are the top three. I want to just end with this. Matthew chapter 12, verses 32 to 37. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this life or in the age to come. Make a tree good, or its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words will be condemned. And I'm just wondering what your speech to your spouse reveals about you. Um, Proverbs 141 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. That's gonna solve the death by a thousand cuts right there. Proverbs 19:14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me just let me just share this. Uh, have any of you heard of Dr. E. V. Hill? He's a black preacher out in California. Just a phenomenal preacher, pastor. Uh, he died some years ago, and uh, but he before that he lost his wife Jane to cancer, and uh, in one of the most moving messages in our day, uh, he spoke at her funeral and described some of the ways in which she she had worked to knit their hearts together because she was a woman who knew how to build intimacy, and. Uh, and so he, he said this as a struggling young preacher in the black community. He had he had a difficult time earning a living, and so he had uh, he had he taken it upon himself to invest their meager resources in a gas station. He bought a gas station, and uh, and she felt that her husband lacked the time and the expertise to make it work, and so. Her fears proved to be prophetic eventually. The station went broke, and Evie Hill lost his shirt in the deal. And so it was a very critical moment in his life. He's feeling very vulnerable, and, uh, and, uh, and he failed at something very important. And, and his wife would have been justified in saying the four words, I told you so, but she didn't do that. Uh, when Evie Hill called to tell her that he'd lost the station, she said, it's going to be all right. So then, uh, as the biography says, Evie came home that night not knowing quite what to expect. He thought she'd be angry with him, or perhaps she'd be pouting. But instead, she sat down with him, and she said, I've been doing some figuring, and I figure if you smoked and drank, you would have lost as much as you lost in the gas station deal. So really, it's six of one, a half dozen of the other. So let's just forget it. So she held her husband's fragile ego in her hands, and she could have shattered him. But instead, she said to her husband, I still believe in you. It's going to be okay. So shortly after the fiasco with the gas station, Evie came home one night and found the house dark. When he opened the door, he saw that Jane had prepared a candlelight dinner for the two of them. And so he says, well, what's this about? And she said, well, we're going to eat by candlelight tonight. So Evie thought that was a great idea, and so he went to the bathroom to wash his hands, and he tried unsuccessfully to turn on the light. Thinking the bulb was burned out, he tried to flip on the light in the hallway. Darkness prevailed. So Evie went back in the dining room and asked, Jane, why the electricity is off. And she started to cry. She said, You work so hard, you're trying so hard, we didn't have enough money to pay the bills, and so I thought we could just ignore our problems for an evening and make the best of it by candlelight. And Dr. Hill concluded his sermon with this. He said, She could have said, I never had to go through this kind of thing before. I was reared in the home of Dr. Carruthers, and we never had our electricity cut off. She could have blamed me, she could have broken me. But instead she said, somehow we'll get the lights back on. But for right now, let's eat by candlelight. Which is one reason why, in the Christian community in California, Evie Hill and Jane Hill enjoyed a marital intimacy that was legacy, using words that help and heal rather than hurt and harm. by the way, homework. Ask each other to share examples of things that could be said better. You know, for example, I had an assistant pastor one time. He'd come up to me after he preached, and he'd say, how did I do? Okay, when somebody says, how did I do, what are they expecting? They're pats on the back. I said, if you want me to give you some helpful criticism, you need to say, how could I do better? Then you're giving me permission. And so... Uh, share examples of things that could be said better. Number two, decide together on a daily time when the two of you can talk about life. There needs to be some time in your, every day, some time when the two of you can talk. No kids. TV's off. Maybe it's sitting in bed before you go to turn off the light. Maybe it's in the morning before the kids get up. Maybe it's after dinner when the kids go off to play and you take a half hour there, but there should be some time during the day when the two of you are talking. Maybe it's only 20 minutes, but there should be some time during the day when the two of you are talking about life and godliness. And she has access to you and you have access to her. And then number three is mention something to your spouse that you're deeply grateful for. Okay.
1: Okay. You wanna just stand here, is that good for that? We can get you a chair?
0: No, I'm I'm good.
1: (laughs) I hope that um, you'll be able to take these homework questions. They're valuable and maybe we can work through them and uh, we won't make a covenant to agree to do that, but I would strongly encourage you, let's encourage myself to take these and maybe through this week, just uh, take a few of them and work them out. That would certainly be helpful I wanted to go back to an illustration about the guy, the wife that arranged the guy's books by color and he just let that go. Beth, please don't do that. <laughs> if you do, I will say something. <laughs> I'm not that sanctified. <laughs> we'll have a long conversation. Just want to make sure while I'm thinking about it that that didn't, oh wow, oh my. There was, oh, I, I can't talk about this. Um, do, you, do you know the couple? Oh, <laughs> where, yeah, yeah. Where, no, I'm talking about uh, some other couple we know oh. where uh, his he stored all of his notes and things on his desk in stacks, and he went away for a weekend, and she arranged it all and organized the whole thing, and it about ended their marriage. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, he was so upset. He knew where everything was, and now it was all filed away, and he knew where nothing was.
0: Yeah, I think I know um, what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's a famous story. They, they did well. Um, just a few things, Wayne, just uh, uh, just to keep the thoughts rolling. We just have a few minutes here, but um, wanted to just follow up on a few. Um, you have spent a lot of hours in counsel with people, and particularly with marriage, those that are struggling in marriage. Could you, just from the years of experience that you have, could you say, here, here's a few things that people just commonly don't get. The, if, if we could grab, grab these ideas, I, I see this consistently. Uh, it's what blocks marriage. You've certainly answered that in, in Probably thirty ways here through these hours, but just as you would just kind of step back from the specifics and look in a general way, what's what are people missing so often? What do you see that you would just say this is this is what I've noticed uh, that's that's common?
0: Well, like you said, I ju- so so the big the big three in my files, the big three are. Uh, number one is uh, the unrealistic expectations, and uh, uh, so the spouse has no idea what you're expecting, and so because they don't converse, and so you enter the marriage relationship, and the wife thinks it's going to be this way, and the husband thinks it's going to be that way, and and they're not willing to bend and accommodate each other, and so that's one. And then number two, uh, the second one is is communication issues, uh, where people talk to each other. They, they, they're nice with other people, but when they talk to each other, it's just mean. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've had people in my office that, uh, you know, they get upset and they're saying things to each other that uh, the rest of the church would be horrified if they were heard. And, of course, their kids are hearing that all the time. And then the third thing is is not solving problems. Uh, letting things fester and sweeping them under the rugs and and then eventually they, they, they rise up and and become major controversies when they shouldn't be controversies at all and so the idea you know is uh, talk nice to each other, follow the biblical principles and and uh, and lower your expectations of each other and you know be grateful instead of upset and uh, you know and then uh, uh, deal with things right away Mm -hmm. I mean that's
1: it's uh, simplistic it's amazing where sin and relationships can make a life so complicated that you step back and say there is nothing on earth that can solve this there's nothing that can unwind this it is so amazingly complicated and messed up and yet the principles to follow are so simple they're so straightforward, it's not that God's given us these rocket science type of notes that we have to work through. But where where we're faithful to God's word, it, he, he's not asking us to do something that's complicated, but it's, it's sin that makes it complicated. Yeah. And then when we, sin piles up on sin and we don't deal with things, it can get away to where you can get to the spot where as one pastor put it rather indelicately, the only answer here is that you die. Yeah, it's a horrible thought, but we—it's really just a, a testimony to uh, the, the things that Wayne's just mentioned here. These are simple things, and hard to grab a hold of. But where we fail to follow through, we can create such complicated, horrific uh, situations.
0: You know, we talk about uh, expectations. Uh, one thing I didn't address this, and that is, that there is there is a profound uh, psychological difference between men and women, and you know we all know this. You know, women are very oriented toward people, toward relationships. You know, they're very very into that and and conversation, and they ask the questions and all that kind of stuff. And and guys just aren't. You know, and so uh, you know, my wife gets on the phone with her sister and talks for two hours. I get on the phone with my brother. I can't wait to get off and uh because it's just uh, and you love him Well, i love my brother to <laughs> yeah. death but i yeah. don't like to talk on the phone yeah. and uh and and so you know women get mad because their husbands don't think the way they do and men get mad because their wives don't think the way they do and uh, so we're failing to take into account and and valuing the psychological differences uh when my wife uh, was, a, was a nurse. I mean, she developed relationships with, with women, and five of her co-workers became Christians uh, because of the relationship she had, and she would talk to them for hours and have them over, and they would get together for lunch and, and talk about spiritual things, and that's not me.
1: And, and that difference, if that, if that difference is a source of joy, yeah. is a source of at least excitement, yeah. We we the, it's it it makes life interesting. We've yeah. got to work this out, figure yeah. out how this. Yeah. We it would be so dull if you if we were exactly created the same way. And we realize there's general it's generalization, but it's a pretty consistent generalization. Yeah. Some women are a bit unique than what he's described. Some men are a bit unique. There's no question, but there are these uh, general realities of how God's made us, and that's part of the. Excitement of being married is to work that out and know this is somebody that doesn't think like I do let me turn to away from uh, Those that are counseled and do you have just any thoughts on? Counseling what are things that you see that counselors do wrongly or think wrongly about marriage? It might be more general just in the sense of, of errors that are common Uh, because of of poor thinking, poor theology, but whatever hits you there. But as as you think, as you would speak to counselors, uh, what are some things that you see that uh, you just, that maybe cause you to tear your hair out sometimes? You're really frustrated.
0: Well, I think it's an important question because all of us who have children are gonna be counseling our children. We're gonna be wanting to impart wisdom to them and grandkids, there are people at work, that uh, because uh, you have seem to have a successful marriage, you seem to have your act together. My life is falling apart. You know, can I talk to you? You know, we've got to be able to converse with people and and share wisdom with them. And uh, you know, one of the big complaints against the evangelical community is that people say, you know, we go to a Christian pastor or Baptist pastor, or whatever, and all they want to do is just uh, share a verse and pray with us and send us packing. And so, I mean, we we do share the scripture. And in fact, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people in my office, and at the end of a session, uh, I'll say to them, "So, w- was any of this helpful to you?" And they would, you know. And I've just shared an hour of my deep well of wisdom with them, and they say, "Yeah, what was that verse in Galatians? That was awesome. What was that verse again?" Hmm. Okay. So, but the point is, the Word of God does have incredible value, even even with even with uh, people who are marginal Christians. You know, they, they, they respect. The, the impact of the word of God so so you do pray you do read the scripture but but number two is is back to that Proverbs eighteen is answering before you hear you you got to ask questions you got to ask a lot of questions you got to get to the heart of the issue because way too many times we're dealing with the surface stuff you know it's like it's like years ago back on in Pennsylvania they had uh, these these farmers were finding a fire in their cornyard corn cornfield corn and the, the fire department kind of put it out and then uh, a couple miles away, a couple uh, weeks later, somebody else has got a fire in their cornfield, and the fire department puts it out. And so this is going on, and finally they figure out, this is not vandalism, there's something wrong. And so they did the research and found out that there was an old coal mine, there was a fire down below that had somehow spawned, and was going up these coal veins and breaking out in different places. So, so they're not dealing with the problem, they're just dealing with the surface stuff. they got to go and put the fire out down here. Well, same thing in counseling. You've got to go to the issue of the heart. What is it that these people, what is the idol, what are they worshiping? What, what is it that they're so unwilling to give up and sacrifice? And so we don't ask enough questions. You've got to ask the questions and bore in and find out what the root problem is. Deal with that, and then all the rest of it goes away.
1: And to get to the, the desires and the affections and the things that are really driving what is often a presenting yeah. Issue. It's really clear, this is a problem, this has to get fixed, but yeah. we're not really looking at what the, maybe the motivations are. That's helpful, and indeed we are all counselors of one another, and I, I think certainly was brought out there earlier that where we are talking with individuals to, that are in a, in a troubled marriage, it's worth fighting for,
0: yeah.
1: because you're not fighting only for your own future and joy hopefully but you're fighting for the name of christ yeah. you're fighting for his covenantal relationship with his people and your only capacity right now in this marriage to reflect that in 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 your walk with others you're reflecting that relationship with christ you break this apart and you're going to do immense damage to that witness and to that yeah. covenant so i, I think they, are you tempted with family members Workmates, sometimes I'm tempted as a pastor. There's times it just goes through my head. Maybe the best thing here is just to walk away. Uh, it would it would make life a lot easier for everybody. I think those things are really lies. Uh, it when we think about the covenant that we have in relationship with God and He with us, and the and the display of His glory in the marriage relationship, it, it's not easier. Uh, much damage can be done. And obviously divorce happens, and it doesn't mean life is over. We go on from there, and there's a lot to recover. But I think this is really a good emphasis for us to, to put the practical together with also that larger picture. It's worth fighting for, and we want to counsel effectively. And I, I would encourage us to do that to, to, as we relate to people that are in, in a time of trouble. And maybe there's somebody here, Wayne, to just say it, I, it isn't worth it. Uh, I, I don't know where to start, we're in trouble, I don't think it's worth it. Uh, just any words of where to go, where to start, what counsel you would give to the persons that, that's saying, uh, we're not talking to anybody, nobody really knows, but I, we are in bad shape as a couple.
0: Well, I'd say uh, number one is in my years of ministry, I have come across with so far one person who ever said, I was glad I divorced. The vast majority of them, even though they remarried to godly people, raised kids, and all that, nevertheless, they all say, "I should have worked harder. I, I shouldn't have jumped the gun. I should have let God work my heart. It should never have happened." Uh, and, and part of that is uh, when you're when you're married, and, and especially if you've got kids, when you divorce, you're still attached to that person the rest of your life because you got birthdays together and you got who's going to walk who down the aisle when they get married and graduation and all the grandkids and all this kind of stuff. You're, you're immeasurably bound together. And then, of course, there's a the financial component all that creates bitterness and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I mean, I had, I had one lady who, because of systematic abuse, uh, her kids begged her to get a divorce, and, uh, and so she's glad she did it for the sake of her kids. But even at that, she's still bound to this guy. She's, she can't get him out of her life. And so, uh, uh, the the idea of uh, the vast majority of people give up too soon, and uh, they don't they don't give it the, the best effort. And uh, and deep systemic problems can't always be solved overnight. And, and uh, so sometimes it takes uh, it takes time and it takes the work of God. And uh, but even you know a generate a couple generations ago, people stayed married. You know even if uh, they it wasn't the best, but at least they stayed together for the sake of the kids and I would say in the Christian community for the sake of Christ. Because uh, people look at you and you can't even hold it together, you know, we, 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 we know Christianity is no different than the rest of us. And so the ramifications are, are, are very extensive and, uh, and the end result is, is not worth it.
1: And this couple saying, we're in trouble, what do we do?
0: Oh, well, okay, so at that point, uh, you know, and that's, that's where I go into high gear. I mean, if they come to you, you're going to go into high gear. And, uh, and because the reputation of Christ is at stake, and because the lives of the children and the grandchildren are at stake, uh, and because they're, they're, the rest of their lives are at stake, you, you pull out the stops. And, uh, and so you get involved with them. And, I mean, I, like the one couple I was talking about, I mean, I, would, I was in their house at least a couple nights a week, uh, trying to trying to mediate problems and and hold them together, begging, pleading, look at the scriptures, and and, and you know, and, and I don't leave until at least we've got this current problem resolved. Now the bigger thing we're still working on, but at least whatever happened today, we're getting that resolved so that so that they they go to bed liking each other at least momentarily, and and you just you, you keep at it, you you don't give up, and and there are times when people have walked away from me and they say, you know, we're not calling you anymore. You know, and, and we don't want this, and so your hands are tied. But as long as you're willing to listen, we don't give up. Yeah,
1: That's such an important message, and I think we want to take that with us as a church. We don't give up. Yeah. We continue to work. Marriage is worth fighting for because Christ's name is at stake, and our joy is at stake, so we, we do fight. You read, yeah. t- talk to us about psychology today. You read psychology today. What is good about that? What would you warn against if there's somebody that says "I'm going to go out of here now and start reading psychology today yeah, how, how would you just put that all together of where can we benefit? Where are their dangers?
0: I read psychology today because uh, you know i'm in I'm involved with other pastors who are their degrees are in psychology i have counselees who come in, a lot of women go into psych- get a degree in psychology, and so uh, I read psychology today to find out what wacko ideas are they coming up with next? Where are they going? What's what's the drift? And so and so that to be forearmed is to be forewarned is to be forearmed. and so I want to be prepared for that. Uh, it's subtle stuff, and uh, and if you read it uncritically, you know some of it makes sense, but then you recognize where they're coming from. They're they're not coming from uh, original sin that all that we're born in iniquity, they're, they're not coming from that at all. You know, they're, they're coming from the idea that we're all born in, in complete innocence, and it's, it's, it's the, the fault of uh, uh, your, your grandmother served you cereal in a square bowl instead of a round bowl, and so now no wonder you killed your wife. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's all that kind of stuff. And so, so I read it in order to be, but there, once in a while, you know, there's a nugget of truth you know and uh, so
1: and when like what you quoted was observation yeah. so there's statistical observation about a lean yeah. or like the five right. things that yeah. Yeah. women are looking for in a marriage or something yeah. like that yeah. as as and and I think we have to be careful here too because sometimes there's been five people that were interviewed and they're all related to the author yeah. but if they can give the number of people in the categories and how they have worked through it uh, sometimes we can get a sense that you know statistically what I think might not be the case. I can be corrected by that. I can be helped by that. but I think the um, it, it's when and i I would just caution if you're not theologically grounded and aren't a discerning person, you can really get into a lot of crazy stuff like yeah. like you've mentioned you Most of the
0: cautious. issues I'll glance through and pitch it because you know they're they're into XY all that kind of stuff all the genders you know they're all for abortion they're all i mean everything that we stand against they're all for it and uh and so but some of their techniques you know just so that i know what they're thinking and so i can respond to it but uh, i don't recommend it to anybody
1: thank you sorry i mentioned it no it's it's (laughs) thought a qualifier might be good there but uh wayne thank you for your time uh please Give an appropriate hug to those people watching your children. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 21 people in the Purdue's house. I, yeah. it, we'll see if it's standing. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a lot of kids in one place. I guess they're, they're the younger ones, so, so maybe it's okay. But um, thankful for those doing that work. If you say, uh, I'm looking for a good date idea, Uh, we're going to do just a little bit of redecorating in the building right after this is over. So right now it's Al and Sue Downs, Sharon uh, Schmidt, and Beth Miller. That's it. That's a kind of thin crew, and one of them's working on one leg, and the leg that works doesn't work. So, uh, But don't don't mean to shame anybody into it. But if you say, we've got 10 minutes, we've got 30 minutes uh, that we could help, we're just going to try to start working things toward... um, Spring. That's a thing. It's going to happen. We're going to see it again, believe it or not. It may not be tomorrow, but we'll see it again. God has promised. Wayne, thank you for the effort uh, to get here, to be with us today, and uh, let's pray for him as he uh, ministers tomorrow, and just for him as a man, as he grieves the loss of Ev and the, the beauty of relationship that they had with all of its quirks and challenges and frustrations and just the illustration that is, but I can certainly attest that there was a, a beauty to that relationship, um, not a simplistic one where they just saw eye to eye and came from the exact same backgrounds by any means, but I think that made it all the more beautiful. And he grieves that. It's it's hard for us to uh, comprehend and to imagine, but Let us take that uh, encouragement and take uh, value in the relationship the Lord has given us. And I might speak to some here, that relationship is really challenging and difficult. It's worth fighting for. And we're here together to say, with one another, we want to support each other and encourage each other to keep walking with Christ and to honor His name as we relate together. This is completely countercultural. You're to think from self and what pleases you, and how to pursue your own individual happiness, and that's that. We're talking about how to live for the glory of God, and to find our joy in that obedience is a high calling, and God has blessed you with a mate. That's why you're here. Even if that is an unbeliever, there is a blessing in marriage, and we encourage you just to keep walking and seeking the Lord in that relationship. Father, take the themes that we have heard And I pray that they would filter down into the soil of our hearts and bear great fruit in the days ahead. We don't know all the good that you may be desiring to accomplish through this time together, but I pray that you would deepen us for the glory of your name and the joy of our souls as we learn uh, the privilege of obedience and we do the hard thing of reconciliation and forgiveness and love and grace in the way that we communicate and are thoughtful. Lord, we are so self-oriented. Teach us in marriage to be selfless. And may we put that into practice and learn what good can come when we communicate graciously and lovingly and we defer to one another and serve one another's best interests. Help those here who are husbands to love their wives and to lead them, indeed to love them by leading them many times and doing the things that are hard as they lead their homes, but to protect and to provide and to love and nurture. For our wives, Father, help them to find the joy in trusting their husbands and giving them the benefit of the doubt and blessing them and being a source of encouragement and hope. Guide to this end, we pray, and may Christ be magnified. Through his name we pray, amen.